Hi, good morning. Good morning. Um, I'm wondering, when was the last time that you guys was, um, were blown away by a good story? Um, it might be a story, a book that you can put down, or a series on Netflix that you just got to watch the next episode, or film that you're on the edge of your seat. I went to see um, the new Bourne film last night, and it was excellent, and I was definitely on the edge of my seat like the whole way through. Um, but I can honestly say that reading and preparing for Daniel 6, I kind of feel the same way about this chapter now. Um, you probably all at least know it. It's Daniel and the Lion's Den, for those of you who don't know what Daniel 6 is. I'll forgive you. I don't think I would have known what chapter it was. Um, but there is just so much in it, and it's one of the most well-known um, children's Bible stories. Um, yeah, most people know it. Most people have heard of it, even if they've never come to church before. Um, it's pretty. It's easy to dismiss because we're so familiar with it. It's almost like, what more am I going to be able to get from that, really? Um, but as I've looked at this story today, it's almost like the more I read it, the more unfamiliar it becomes, the more God's taught me, the more God's shown me. Um, and just, yeah, I've just been amazed about what it teaches us about like God's unending faithfulness and goodness and like how we can like have faith in really hard times. Um, but the problem with, or was with him like teaching me so much is that I was really struggling to like sift through what it was he wanted to bring this morning so I could like, but what is it good that you want to teach this morning? Like this is great, there's so much in there but it's not going to make any sense if I just try and blur it all out. Um, so I was struggling a bit and there was one evening this week and I really felt like, okay, before I go to sleep tonight I need to have a clear sense of what it is that God wants to say. Um, so I was sitting on my bed and I was like, okay, God, pray. I'm going to please just show me what it is, what it is you want to say. And I had Daniel 6 open um, and I kept nearly nodding off a couple of times because I was pretty tired. But like, there was just nothing really coming to mind. Um, but I did feel like God said, like, just, just get down on your knees. So I was like, okay. Um, bit desperation, got down on my knees again, Daniel 6 open, was praying. Um, Still, no sense of what it should be. It's getting a bit like, oh, I kind of want to go to sleep. But I said I'd keep keep praying. Um, and then I felt God say, like, go to the window and look out over London. Um, my room's got, like, a, a beautiful view um, of the London skyline all lit up at night. So I was like, again, Daniel 6, was looking out over the skyline. Um, still nothing, still nothing. Um, and then God was like, okay, you can go to sleep now. I was like, okay. Uh, well, a bit disappointed, uh, lost out on some sleep and still no further on knowing what I'm going to talk about. Um, and then it was the Tuesday morning prayer meeting the next morning. And so again, I was praying, good opportunity to pray. And uh, as I was praying, I realized what the three things were that I'd done the night before. I'd got down on my knees and prayed. Um, then I went to the open window and looked out towards the city. And the third thing was I went to sleep, all pre uh, not really extravagant or spectacular, but these are three of the things that Daniel does in this story. Um, and just, oh, I was just blown away. I was like, wow, God, I was frustrated and disappointed that you weren't showing me. And instead you were like making me do them. Like, how thick can I be? Um, but yeah, now Shafra's just going to come and read Daniel 6 for us. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so the king might suffer no loss. 
Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the councillors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius, sign the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? Then the king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he laboured till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that this is a law of the Medes and the Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of the lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of the lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me. Because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God." And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of the lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then the king wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. 
I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Amen. All right, so that's the the story. Um, so before, I don't know, if some of you might not have been here for the whole series that um, has done, been done up till now. So I'm just going to really quickly set the scene. Um, so Daniel was an exile from Jerusalem. He was brought to Babylon in his teenage years, um, and he's worked in the palace and for numerous kings ever since. Um, he's he's risen up the ranks um, and had a lot of like faith-filled exploits that he's been involved in um, and also had the chance to interpret various like dreams and visions for the kings um, and found like real favour in their eyes. Um, but he's now in his 80s, so quite a lot has happened in between. Um, and Daniel is still, um, he's still in Babylon. And they've got this, this new ruler ruling over, um, King Darius. Um, and he's just set up a system uh, where there's 120 satraps, which means governors of provinces in the Persian Empire, for those who don't know. Um, and above these satraps are three officials um, to whom the satraps are accountable to. And Daniel is one of these officials. Um, so he's already in a really good position, um, but he finds himself distinguished over um, the other officials to the point where the king was about to set him over the whole kingdom. And then this is the point where the other, the other officials, the other satraps, they get jealous and they, like, they let that sink in. And they come together and try and find a way of like, bringing Daniel down, basically. Um, so first they look at the, like, how he's ruling, how he's doing that, um, and what they can find fault in. And they can't find anything. There is nothing in Daniel and the way he's doing his role and his job that is negligent or at fault in any way at all. Um, so what an incredible testimony, first of all, of just like a real man of integrity in all that he does. Um, so instead, they, they come back together, and the only way that they're going to be able to find fault with Daniel is in regard to his faith. Um, so they come up with a plot, um, which they bring to the king, saying, like, no one in this kingdom can worship any god apart from you, king. Um, and they do it um, using the law of the uh, Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. You're like, that's quite an important thing. It comes up three times, so like, really is important in there. Um, and the king, whose ego is probably pretty flattered by this, he agrees to it um, and signs it all off. Um, so then what does Daniel have to say about this? He like, finds out about it, obviously. Um, so we're just going to have a look at what he has to say about it. Um, but before we look at Daniel, I just really want to make it clear that Daniel, although he was a real like, mighty man of God and he seems like, you know, pretty perfect in this, he really wasn't. Like, he was still human. He would have done things wrong. He'd have got things wrong. Um, we can still learn a lot from him. But one thing that we should really learn is how his life points to Jesus and points us to, like, bring glory to God. Um, so just before we go anywhere, just get that clear. Um so what, is, what does Daniel do when he hears about this document? The first thing he does is he kneels. And then the verse says, He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. 
So the first thing, he gets, he kneels, but the first thing he does is he gives thanks. Like, he doesn't go and beg God, help me, or um, what am I going to do? How are we going to get out of this? Or how, how can you help me? He doesn't do any of that. He does that later, but he asks, um, he just comes and gets down on his knees and gives thanks before God and praises him. Like, I just think that's incredible that his first expression is one of just real praise. Um, and it got me thinking, like, how often do we run straight to God with our problems, um, full of panic and fear, um, needing an answer, but not fully realising who it is we're coming before? Um, I think Daniel had a real grasp of God's sovereignty. And I Frank talked about it a few weeks ago on like how Daniel knew that God was sovereign over everything. Um, but when we start our prayers with genuine praise and worship, we have a much healthier perspective, both of God um, in all his sovereignty, but also our problems and stuff in proportion to that. They're always going to be a lot smaller, like always. Um, and we're a lot less likely to like, run around like a headless chicken and like in panic and fear because we know that God is bigger. Um, and secondly, I love the fact that the small phrase at the end, um, it says, as he had done previously, um, yeah, it just shows that this this coming to God and praying wasn't something out of the ordinary for Daniel. Um, he wasn't just doing this because he was having a crisis situation. He wasn't like, oh, increase the number of times I'm praying, um, you know, so God will hear me, or increase the number of times I'm praying, maybe to antagonize the satraps, um, you know, don't know. Um, and he wasn't decreasing the number of times he prayed. Um, wasn't trying to, you know, maybe they won't notice if I do it less. Maybe if I back away from the window a bit. Maybe if I just stop praying for 30 days. Like, it's only 30 days. He could have stopped praying for 30 days. Um, and they might not have noticed. And he'd have, he'd have got away with it. But Daniel's routine and part of his relationship with God is to come and pray three times a day. So when this crisis comes and it strikes... He carries on praying three times a day and he just turns to God in praise and in worship and asking him for help. And like that, that's just what he does. Um, he's not put off. I'm going to come back to this point a bit later on, so listen out for it. Uh, the second thing that Daniel does is he went to the open window and he looked towards the city. Um, so it says, when Daniel knew that document had been signed, he went to his house where the windows in his upper chamber opened toward Jerusalem. Now, we don't have our windows open a lot in this country unless it's summer. And then even then, debatably, is it warm enough to have the windows open? Um, but when you do, especially living in the city, like, it makes a lot of difference. Um, I grew up in rural Gloucestershire and our house was literally just surrounded by fields. Like, there were no other houses or anyone for quite a way away. Um, so it meant, well, even if like a car drove down the lane, everyone would kind of look, are they coming to our house? Uh, no, they're just driving by, cool, we'll let them. Um, so, and when you had the windows open, it didn't really make a lot of difference. Like, you'd get the air coming in, but the only noise difference would be a few extra cows moving or something. You wouldn't, you wouldn't hear the difference. Whereas living in the city, um, you're often in quite close quarters to other people, other houses, um, other flats or just people walking past the window. Um, and you hear pretty much everything, whether that's people singing, people like shouting, um, middle of the night especially, so like you hear everything then, like people, um, teenagers walking past. Um, but um, yeah, one time me and one of my housemates, um, who I'm not going to name because they may come to this church, um, <laughs> we were cooking dinner and we were had some music on and we were singing and dancing, just having a good time. Um, we had the window open because we were cooking. Um, but we had the lights on in the kitchen, obviously, uh, but it was dark outside. 
And um, we're, yeah, we're just singing and dancing, having a good time. And then I, I um, was just looking out the window and I suddenly realised that the back gate was open and there was this group of teenagers standing outside the back gate also singing and dancing <laughs> along to our music. So I kind of nudged my housemate and I was like, um, over there. Um, and we like turned all the music down and everything, and then I had the job of going out and shutting the gate. <laughs> that was a bit awkward. Um, but yeah, it's a funny story, but can you notice the similarity to what many of us do in our lives, particularly regarding our faith? And it got me thinking, why are we so quick to close up when we realise that people have noticed what we're doing? Um, and maybe it's because we're British, or maybe you're not like me, um, but if you are like me, you often go out with all the good intentions of sharing your faith, of being a good witness, good witness, and then someone might notice what you're doing, and instead of thinking, great, I'm doing something right, let's carry on, um, instead you clam up and you shy away and you put the guards in, God, guards in place thinking, what must they think of me? Quickly, be quiet, blend in. We are not called to be a people who blend in. We are not called to be part of the rushing, busy crowd of Londoners um, who are going about their lives um, just focused on what they are doing, blanking everyone else, not really concerned with what um, is going on in their lives. We are called to be a city on a hill um, that cannot be hidden. We are called to be lights that shine in the darkness. Uh, we are not called to close our windows but to the world, but to open them up and to keep them open, even when other people <laughs> notice, and really honour God with our actions and words. Um, one example of this, at the leadership conference in June, um, we heard a lot of incredible talks about um, sharing the gospel and letting it impact the broken world around us. And then on the Friday night, um, there was a group of about 40 people who went out onto the streets of Norwich, and we went to um, the street where all the clubs are, and we just stood in the middle of the road, well, on the pavement, um, and we just started singing. And like at the beginning, we were like kind of focusing in, and then gradually like got the courage to like turn around and look around us and carry on singing, even though people were coming out, taking photos, taking videos, like people were taking notice, definitely. But we just carried on, and I think it's such a beautiful image of how like what we normally do inside our churches, inside our homes, inside our conferences, we're like, we should be taking that out to the streets, and like not, not changing that. Um, and Boyce, in his commentary, he said, we need more Daniels. We need more people who are willing to bring their awareness of God and his laws off the reservation, who are willing to open their windows and honour him before a watching world. Um, I had challenged us, we need to be less scared of offending people with our faith or coming across as religious or stepping on people's toes. Um, these are all things that like can make us stop sharing our faith um, and they're all rooted in fear. Um, I think as our culture becomes less tolerant of Christianity, even though it might think it's being more tolerant, we need to be sharing our faith, offering to play, pray with people and really stepping out of our comfort zones and like, I don't mean pushing faith on people, definitely not. Like, always coming out of a place of love um, and acceptance and, like, yeah, everything in love. Um, but it's, it's really time to open our windows and to keep them open. Um, the other thing it mentions in verse 10 is the direction that the windows are open, um, the direction that the open windows are facing, sorry, um, and it's Jerusalem. And this wasn't just coincidental or a nostalgic act upon Daniel's part. Um, Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? 
Um, so it was where Daniel came from. Um, but Jerusalem was also the place that was known as God's dwelling place. Um, it's where his temple was, the temple that had been built so, for God to like dwell in. Um, and even when Jerusalem was destroyed, it had like real significance for the Jews. And by facing Jerusalem, Daniel was showing that he knew and understood um, what King Solomon, who was the king who built the temple um, many years before, he understood what he'd said at the dedication of the temple. Um, and this is a prayer that Solomon prayed about those who would be exiled from Israel. Um, and it says, And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive, and pray to you toward the land you gave their ancestors, toward the city you have chosen, and the temple I have built for your name, then from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their plea, and uphold their cause. So that's what Solomon prayed, and that's what Daniel would have had in mind when he started this routine of turning to facing Jerusalem. He'd have had that, that prayer and been like, okay, I'm really going to intentionally do this. Um, but Daniel's prayers, they weren't extra special because he was facing a certain way. Um, God didn't give him some extra ear time, like, ah, oh, he's facing Jerusalem, I'll listen in this time. Um, it's not about that at all. But there is something about this act of like refocusing his gaze in the direction of God's holy place that really speaks volumes and gives um, just a real sense of how Daniel has been able to remain so faithful and so loyal throughout his lifetime. Um, so even though he's fully immersed in Babylonian culture, he was living for everything that Jerusalem stood for. And so this was like a real deliberate and intentional act and one that he made three times a day. Um, right, compass. I'm not a person who really loves roaming through the wild. I might have been brought up in rural Gloucestershire, but I'm not a person who loves roaming through the wild with only a map and a compass um, for hand. Like, I did DOV. Um, we got lost. We got lost in the dark, um, and it completely put me off. Um, I'm probably never going to optionally sign up for anything like that again. I like having a map. I like knowing where I'm going, but not so much the compassing. Um, but I did have to like learn how it worked, get the graph, show that I could I could do it. Um, so I'm, I'm sorry if you, you wouldn't know how to use a compass, but I'm just going to run through it. Um, so on your compass, you have a, a red and a black arrow, or blue, which is called the compass needle. And the red part of this is always pointing towards the Earth's magnetic north pole. So before you try and work out what direction you need to go in, you need to make sure that the compass needle is facing north on the compass, so the big N. Um, and if this hasn't happened, that one's a bit off, um, you can forget like going in the right direction at all. And this is basically what Daniel was doing. Um, God was his north. He was reconfiguring his compass to God and like turning his eyes back on him and allowing all decisions and choices and words and actions to be done from that place of, of being in God's presence. And he didn't just do this once a day or once a week or once a month or when he was facing a crisis, like, oh no, better get back to God quickly. Um, Daniel was really aware that his culture had a massive impact on him. Um, he was aware that just a few hours doing his job in that culture and like things are going to try and get into his heart and his mind that weren't of God. Um, and he was just really aware, I think, of his, um, his humanity and his frailty um, and his sin. Um, so he just keeps coming back, keeps coming back, like keeps realigning his compass needle to God. Um, 
So which way is your compass needle pointing? And how often are you realigning it to God? If you're doing this often, then hopefully it shouldn't be a drastic change, of course, to get back aligned. You've hopefully just gone like a little bit away from north. But the longer you leave it between intentionally spending time in God's presence and reconfiguring your heart to him, um, the more time the culture has to get in there. And before you know it, like you're pointing east, you're pointing south, you're pointing, you're just like completely turned around. Um, so I just really encourage you to think of points in your day where if you intentionally grabbed a few minutes to come before God, it could make all the difference in like the decisions you make, the attitude you have, the words you speak. Um, it could be at work. It could be um, when you on your lunch break, when you're grabbing a coffee, when you're on the tube, on the bus, like any time in the day. Like it doesn't have to be anything really fancy. It's just realigning with Him. It's just coming back into His presence and like saying, "Okay, God, like where do you want me? What do you want me doing now?" Um, and yet it's so simple and yet it makes such a difference in your life. Like it will make such a difference um, because it's so it's so important to have this rhythm, um, which is a relationship. Like it is fundamentally a relationship um, and a communication um, and like a rhythm of praise and thanks before God. So most of us here, I'm assuming we live in London. Um, we know what city we live in. London, fairly simple. But what city do you live for? So just as Daniel was living, he wasn't living for Babylon, even though he lived in Babylon, he was living for Jerusalem. We need to lift our eyes above the skyline of London. We are fully immersed in London life, um, and that culture is going to try and get into our hearts and into our minds and into our actions and into our words, um, and it will try and infiltrate every part of us. Um, we really need to look beyond that. And the city we're looking beyond too is um, a city that isn't made by man. It says in Hebrews 11 verse 10, For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So as Christians, we, look to, we don't look to Jerusalem. We look forward to the new heavens and the new earth that God's promising. Um, and Jesus brought the beginning of the kingdom of God when he came to earth. And that's like what we should be seeking after and living for, even while we're here in London. Um, it's exciting, exciting stuff. Um, right, now I'm just going to fast forward a bit through the story. Um, I'll catch you up on what's happened in case you've forgotten. Um, so the men have told the king about Daniel, and the king tries to revoke the law because he really likes Daniel, and he doesn't want to see this happen to him. Um, but to no avail, because if you remember, the law was um, of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. They did that for a reason. Um, so Daniel was thrown in the pit of lions, and the stone was rolled across the entrance, and he spends the night in the lion's den until the break of day the next day. Um, yeah, and we're told in this story that that night, one of the people in the story didn't have a good night's sleep, but it wasn't Daniel. Um, we read the verse, Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. We're told about Daniel. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Now, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall of that pit that night. Um, you see Daniel thrown in there. You see the lions. I'm pretty sure they were hungry lions because the way they devoured the people the next day, like they weren't tame lions. But instantly it must have been that God's angel was there binding their mouths shut. And then I'm fairly certain that 
Daniel's first response would have been praise, like, pretty sure. Like, from what we know of Daniel and from the situation, he would have been down on his knees, like, worshipping his God and giving thanks to him. Um, And yeah, maybe he lay down then and slept and was like, wow, I've got nothing to fear. God really has got me. He's Nothing is going to touch me. Um, I don't know if Daniel did sleep that night. It doesn't say, so I'm not going to stand here and say he had the best night's sleep of his life or it took him till 3 a.m. and then he managed to drift off. Um, I don't know. But I do know that sleep fled from the king. Um, The king was sleeping in his royal palace, in his wonderfully comfy royal bed. Um, He was the one who was worrying about Daniel and what the outcome was going to be, what he was going to find in the morning. So we've got the king there who's having a sleepless night. Um, But on the other hand, we're told that Daniel trusted his God. He trusted him fully. Um, And when you trust someone and you really trust them and you know that they're in control of a situation, you can relax. Um, You can really fully relax. And I think sleep is the ultimate relaxation, right? Um, If you're feeling anxious or fearful or um, worried, you have this like, gnawing in your stomach and it's really hard to sleep but Daniel was trusting God he was probably relaxed he probably slept um and sleep um as well as being like really the relaxation it also represents real vulnerability um we're at our most vulnerable when we're sleeping um we have no idea what's going on around us you can't keep an eye out for what's happening you just have to trust that it's going to be okay um and psalm 3 it reads like this Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing will be on your people. So this is the psalm. It wasn't written by Daniel. It was written by a man called David. And he was in a position where he was, people hated him and wanted him killed. So similar. So it could have been written by Daniel. Like similar sentiments there. Um, but we know that Daniel has actual lions in his story, actual prowling lions who want to eat him. Um, and he's been put in a pit of them with a stone rolled across the doorway and nothing, well, there's no way that he could have got out there by himself. Um, and yet God doesn't let them touch him. He shuts the mouths of the lions. Um, and in Psalm 3 it said, you break the teeth of the wicked. Like, lions have big teeth, just in case you didn't know. Um and they, they, that's how they grab a hold of their prey and like devour them. Um, and yet God is saying, don't worry about that. I've got you. Go to sleep. Relax. Um, so Daniel lay down. He may have slept while in this pit of hungry lions um, because he knew that God had him, that God says that he's a shield around us and that in God we have victory. And just like moving away from that a bit now, um, I can't help but think that there must have been people who, they'd watched Daniel grow up, um, they'd seen some of his daring exploits, the way he humbly stood up to kings and officials, um, and then they saw all this and then they watched him get dragged and thrown into a den of lions. 
Um, and I can't help but think that people who looked on him would have thought, like, oh, that's a shame. He was an exile from Jerusalem, but he led an incredible life. Such a shame to see it end in such an undignified and humiliating way. And I can't help but think that maybe they watched the guards roll the stone across the entranceway and then turned away thinking, well, that's it then, he's a goner. And as I think of these people who may or may not have have been there, may or may not have thought this, it takes me to another story. Um, A few hundred years later, a few hundred miles away, another man who lived an incredible life, who performed signs and miracles, um, who taught about God of love um, and freedom, who criticised the religious leaders for their hypocrisy, Um, a man who didn't do what was expected of him, who defied social norms, um, who loved to spend time in the presence of his father and taught his followers to seek the kingdom of God above all else. He was a man who riled up the authorities and religious leaders with his teaching, his miracles and his life to such an extent that they had him crucified on a cross, even though they could find no fault in him. And I bet there were people standing there on that afternoon as the sky went dark and Jesus cried, it is finished, who were thinking, well, there goes that one. And some thought he was the Messiah. What a shame after all that to end up dying such a humiliating criminal's death. There must have been some who watched the guards take the body to the tomb and roll the stone across the entranceway and all hope left them because Jesus really was dead. But as Rich earlier like the death was not the end for Jesus he rose from the dead death had no hold on him instead Jesus had victory over all death Um, and Daniel came before Jesus time he didn't know the full story he didn't know what was coming or how it ends but we're here today and we do know the full story we can we can open up our Bibles and read about what's going to happen we know how it's going to end. We know it's going to end with Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father with complete victory, with every knee bending before him. Um, and what does this mean for us? It means that when we're faced with prowling lions and scheming men who try and bring us down, we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Um, It means that we can kneel, we can come into the loving presence of God, we can have this intimacy and this relationship with him. It means that we can open our windows to a watching world as we live out this relationship with God with no fear of what they're going to do to us. It means we can lift our eyes above the, the skyline of London or wherever we live and live for another city, one that's not built by man. And it means that we can we can lay all our troubles at the feet of Jesus, relax and go to sleep. And finally, it means that we can join King Darius in his proclamation of praise and truth at the end of this story, where he says, For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for um, just for what you've been teaching me through this, Father. I thank you that there's so much truth in this chapter, in this story, and we can learn so much from Daniel's attitude. We can learn so much about your character, your your faithfulness, your goodness, Father. You're just ah, um, oh, there's just so much hope and joy, Father. And I pray that just as we come now to a time of responding. Um, to what it is that we just be able to look inside our own hearts and see what it is that you're that you're saying to us today, um, 
that we'd be able to really be vulnerable before you, Father, um, knowing that it's from a place of really trusting you and knowing that you you don't want any harm for us, God. You just want good. Um, and God, yeah, um, I pray that we would be able to realign our hearts with yours. Um, we're all at such different places. We're all Our hearts are turning completely different ways, Father, and I thank you that you are so loving, you're so good, and you're so faithful that you... It doesn't matter where we are, God. If we come back to you and we, we ask for forgiveness, Father, you, you accept us right back, God, with loving arms because you're a loving Father. Um, and if I pray for people who feel like they've completely turned their backs on you, God, that they're facing south, they're not facing north, that they would just, yeah, God, whoever, wherever we are, they would, we'd know that we can just come back to you and that there's, no, there's not going to be any shame, God, that you just love us um, completely where we're at. Um, yeah, in your name, amen.